It's a Sunday afternoon in May, and I'm sitting here in my living room with singer, songwriter, actress, and friend Shakira Saida. She's taking time out of her very busy schedule to have a little chat with me. Just ask, how was the gig yesterday? The gig last night was really fun. It was yesterday afternoon at the CBC Music Fest, and it was really fun. It was Brooke and I. And 10 minutes before I went on, I was in a panic because I couldn't find Brooke. I was calling his phone. He wasn't answering. I knew he had been in another gig. I knew he'd gotten caught in traffic. I knew something had happened to him. So Tanika Charles was playing on the stage just opposite mine. And I ran over just as she got off stage and said, Tanika, great set. You sounded great. She said, really? And I said, yeah. Can I borrow your guitar player? And I started like trying to get her guitar player. And then my stage manager walked over and said, um, Brooke was behind the tent the whole time. So then I kind of sheepishly walked back and said, but you didn't call me. You didn't call me. So once we got on stage, I guess the public was sort of aware of this because it was only like maybe 30, 40 chairs in this tent. And they were sort of aware that we weren't really there in the beginning, but then we were there. And I really like those spaces, as scared as I am of being in front of people in that intimate of an environment. I really like it because I really do get to be more of myself. I get to be um, as loose as I want to be. I get to speak to the audience. I don't just have to sing one song. It's not so much a performance as it is, this is what I do. You're coming here to get to know me maybe a little bit. And a lot of the people knew me from the radio. So they knew what I sounded not, but but not what I looked like. So that was a little bit, you know, weird for them because you can see them really staring and trying to memorize it. And then my daughter showed up and I introduced her to the audience and then we got her to sing with me. And that's always fun for me, right? Because she's got a great voice and, um, and it'll probably be one of the last times that we'll sing together for the next little while because she's off to school. Where's she going? She's going to University of Victoria. <gasps> far away. Far away. Far, so how far. does that feel? feels really good in some ways. It'll be the first time in 25 years that I won't have a child underfoot, that I won't be looking after a child. I still have my 25-year-old with me, but she's not a child. And so, yeah, it'll be the first time in 25 years that I won't have to worry about making dinners, making lunches, getting up and rowing, you know, row practice or or track practice or whatever else. And um, 17 years now, I've been a single mom. So it's it's a really going to be a really big change, but I'm actually strangely looking forward to it in a really positive way. Going back to what you said about being a single mother um, and raising two kids, was that difficult as a, as somebody who wanted to pursue a dream of being a musician? I reflect over and over and over again about how difficult it was. And I just came out recently um, at a fundraiser for a, um, a charity. Um, it was full of people who had been donating money and also full of some of the people who use this facility and spoke about my experiences. And I said out loud, you know, 17 years ago, I separated from my husband and found myself with a job that I couldn't keep because I couldn't afford to pay for daycare, but I made too much money to get a daycare subsidy. So all of a sudden I'm stuck and I have a almost one-year-old and an eight-year-old or almost eight-year-old. So I had to quit my job and then I was only just trying to figure out what am I going to do now? So I had to go on welfare. And what they did was they put me on this Ontario Works program where whatever money I made, they would 
subtract from whatever I needed for daycare. So they sort of were giving me daycare subsidy without giving it to me. And I had this amazing social worker, Lisa Wunsch. I will never forget her because she, walking into a welfare office when you've never been in that position before is hard enough. But I knew that I needed some breath. I needed some way to, to just be able to get my head in order. You know, my life just changed, boom, like that. And she really was supportive towards me and really encouraging. And she didn't treat me as though I was a second-class citizen or as though she was disappointed in the choices I had made. She treated me as though I needed that breath. And I said to her, give me six months and I will be off of this. And so I took six months. I took part-time jobs. I took a couple little singing jobs here and there. And then um, I found a job as a receptionist doing temporary work. And that temporary job turned into a full-time job. And from there, I got a job in the same company working PR and marketing. And from there, I went on and did other things. And I was still a single mother in that. So I still had to find a way to find babysitters for my kid. I was constantly scrambling for babysitters and daycare and making sure that my kids were going to be okay by the time they came home. And was I going to be there or I wasn't going to be there? And that was why at some point I moved into a huge house with my parents so that they could be there to help me take care of my kids. So my life and my role as a single mother was made a lot easier by my village, by my community. And I'm so grateful for that. I could not have done it without the people who are still my friends, who literally helped me raise my kids. Um, but even having said that, that was 1998. 2008 was my first uh, European tour. I went with the Chicago Blues Band out in France, and I then got enough money together to take my kids, bring my kids over to Paris. And I had refused to go up to the Eiffel Tower until I could bring my kids up there. I'd been to Paris a couple of times that year. And I stood under the Eiffel Tower of my kids, and it was twinkling, and my kids are sitting there looking up at it. And I just looked at them, and I said, just think, 10 years ago, I didn't know how I was going to raise you. I didn't know how I was going to get through one more day. And look at us. We're in Paris. I did this. And if I can do this, you guys can do anything. You know? So, yeah, it's hard. But if I leave this earth with nothing else, I leave it knowing that I've been the best mother I could be. And that it's made me as strong as I can be. If I can do that, I can get through anything. Musically, what were your ambitions? Were you thinking that you would become a musician? Was that? I got to be really honest and say that I was never hungry about music until much, much later in my life. I took it for granted. You know, I definitely went and did the, did the jam sessions and I hung out with people and I sang with people, but I was never hungry. It was never vital for me to sing. It was always very casual. Yeah, I'll sing here, I'll sing there. And it wasn't until I had worked hard for other people, I had hustled for other people, that I really recognized how much effort I was putting out to make everybody else happy. So when I was separated, I was acting more than I was singing. I was doing a lot of plays, and I was doing some cabaret work. You know, my Funky Louise was was doing cabaret stuff. And, um, and I started doing this gig in 90... Hmm, it would have been 98. 
same year I was separated, I started doing Blues on Bel Air. And it was this little place in Yorkville run by Diane German and Peter German. And Peter German had been a B3 player in Yorkville in the 60s. So they bought this place to sort of reminisce about the old days. And I did it with Eric Sustar on upright bass and Brooke Blackburn on guitar. And we had been doing a couple corporate gigs a year at that point. And it was the first time that I ever really listened to my voice and was ever really able to hear my voice as an instrument because I didn't have drums, I didn't have horns, I didn't have a loud guitar, it was just the three of us. And we really got into making music, like taking standard songs and just turning them into our thing. And it was the first time I had ever really done that. I'd ever, I developed my sound in that, in that period of time or started developing my sound. So music became a release then because I was working a full-time job. And this became the thing that I could do when I could let go for a minute on that Wednesday night. Um, but from there, learning who I was musically, learning what I liked musically, learning how other people defined me, that's how I got to where I am now. But we talked about this before. You tend to be somebody who sort of sets goals for yourself. So at one point or another, you said, my, this is my five-year plan unlike many musicians that I've talked to. But tell me that thought process and, and how you decided to set a goal. Because I remember you had goals in the very beginning, and I know you've kind of achieved a lot of them, and I, I presume that you're continually setting new goals. But yeah. tell me about that. It was process. 2005, and I had just finished another stint with Inniversity, which was a, a summit on diversity. Um, I had been doing sponsorship management with them. I was working with two other film companies doing sponsorship management. And I looked at my life and I went, what am I doing? I'm hustling for everybody else. I'm calling up companies and asking for 10000 20000 $50,000 for everybody else. And I'm really good at my job. But none of it is doing anything for me. When am I going to start hustling for me? And how can I be telling my kids, you can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want to be. And yet I'm not being who I want to be. And at that point, I made that decision and I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I need to borrow some money. You know, I, I want to make a CD. And he's like, well, what's different this time? Because whenever I made a CD, it never went anywhere. I never did anything with it. I was, like I said, I wasn't hungry. And um, I said, I want a CD so I can play in festivals. I want a CD because without CDs, people won't take me seriously. And that was a light going on for me. Hey, I want to be taken seriously. You know, I had heard that I wasn't considered a blues singer because, you know, I didn't really sing blues. And, and yet I went, okay, because they also didn't consider Etta James a blues singer. So I went, well, if she's not considered a blues singer and I'm not considered, I'm okay, I'm in good company. Um, but 2006, I made the Blueprint album. And um, 2007, 2006, 2007, I started calling up festivals saying, hi, my name is Shakura Saida. I'm, I'm a singer. Uh, you know, I'd love to sing with you. And, and I think also 2005, 2006, I was working with Lance Anderson. I was working with Bill King. You know, I was doing the Saturday Night Fish Fry. I was doing the um, Ray Charles tribute. We were doing a, a Mardi Gras, New Orleans type tribute. So I was learning again who I was. And, um, so my goal for myself was really simple. I want to sing in festivals. I want a record deal. I want to sing in Africa. I want to sing in Australia. Um, I started with those things. 
And then I built from there. I added on later on, I want to sing with Keb Mo. I want to sing with an orchestra. All those things got added in there. And I think the reason I put those goals in there is because I believe my word is truth. Quite simply, I believe that I have the ability to be great. I believe that everybody has that ability. It's why we're put on this earth to be as great as we're supposed to be. And I believed in my greatness for the first time. And I think I told you the story of writing down in 2006, I'm no longer afraid to admit that I want greatness, that I want to be great. And then exactly a year later, I was standing on the stage in Montreal Jazz Festival first time. And that's not because I'm amazing. It's because I've chosen to believe in myself. I've chosen to believe that with hard work, I can do whatever I want to do. You know, it might take some time, it might take a lot of tears, it might take a lot of frustration, but um, I don't think there's anything that I can't do. Was there ever time you questioned anything, whether it can happen? I question all the time. You know, I've just been through a year of feeling so uncreative, of feeling like I don't know what I'm going to do, and yet I did the Nina Project. You know, I don't know how I did it. Like, that show came down, we did nine sold-out shows, and I'm still sitting here going, how the heck did that happen? And it's not even it's not even a great show yet. It's a good show and we have amazing people in it. But how the heck did I do that? Well, how did you do that? How did that start? I don't know. I don't know. I um uh what was it? 7 years ago? 8 years ago, I did a, a Nina Simone tribute at um Spiracle, the Academy of Spiracle Arts. Sybil Walker was running that. And um, I did it with Archie Lean on drums, Eric Sustar on bass, and Robbie Bottos on piano. And I didn't have enough time to rehearse with those guys. I wasn't paying them enough, you know, to call for a big rehearsal. So I took all the songs that we didn't have time to rehearse, and I looked at the lyrics, and I put the lyrics in between the songs. And so I would finish the song, and I'd just speak her lyrics. Like, rather than doing To Be Young, Gifted, and Black, I just spoke the lyrics of it. And then I'd go on to the next song. And I really liked that idea. And people kept saying, you know, you should do that again, you should do that again. I went, yeah, I'm not doing that again, but I'll write it. And I thought, you know, Kelly Lee sings Nina Simone stuff. Jackie Richardson sings Nina Simone stuff. How can I do this show and have them doing this stuff? And then I was thinking, which one? And still in my mind, I can see me picturing them. Which one's going to speak? Which one's going to sing? And, and are they going to have a book? And this is how I was trying to work it out in my head. So for seven years, I've been trying to figure this out in my head. And finally, last May, I submitted a grant to the um, TD Then and Now Black History Month series, which is being run with um, in collaboration with BAND, Black Artists in Dialogue, Black Artists Network in Dialogue, sorry. And um, we got the grant to do two shows, one in Ottawa and one in Toronto. Oh, okay, so then I got to write the thing, you know, and I had imagined Kelly Lee, Jackie, and I sitting around writing it together, not with our schedules, so I had to write it, and then I had to get a dramaturge in there and, and look at it, and then we went into rehearsals, and of course, Kelly Lee's still in Ottawa, so we're Skyping her into rehearsals, and then we do these two shows that are sold out, because we were on Metro Morning, and two days later, the show was completely sold out. I didn't do that. That's on the merit of the people who were in the show. But then we do the show again in April, and we have to add shows because those two are sold out, because people have heard about the show now. I still don't know what happened. How does that feel when, when you have an idea, a seed of an idea, and it just 
grows into something. And yet that's, that's one accomplishment to actually do it, but to actually have people accept it and to want more. I, I say this, you and I have this conversation a lot, and I say this all the time. The more people come out, it doesn't, it doesn't confirm for me or reaffirm that I'm great or I'm amazing. What it reaffirms for me is that I need to trust my gut. I remember having a conversation with you about time, about wanting to do a double CD, you know, and, and you kept saying to me, like you always do, you always ask me really hard questions, you know, why? Are you sure about this? Why? Why would you want to do this? And I kept saying, I don't know. I just, I feel like I need to do a double CD. I feel like it needs to be said in, in two ways. I, I, I just feel this. And I don't keep any accolades. I keep very, very few pictures of me in that singing persona in my house. But on my whiteboard, I have my Juno certificate. And I keep it there so that when I wake up, the first thought is, trust yourself. Trust your gut. That's all I can do. I got to keep remembering to be me. And I think that's the thing that's so very hard to do is to... um, is to trust that you're good enough. So what happened in the past year? You said it's been a tough year. Like why why has it been a tough year? And how, is it still a tough year, even though you've had success in getting recognition? It's, I'm actually coming out of it now. I didn't know if I wanted to continue singing um, because I, I wasn't finding the inspiration where I thought I would find it. I didn't know if I wanted to continue singing because I wasn't sure I was what people wanted to hear. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to continue singing because I didn't know if I had anything to say. And I still don't know if I have anything to say. But um, a couple of things have happened. I think certainly the Nina Project getting out of my head cleared some space because it was just too much stuff in my head to to think about. And I think also... um, I was able to start thinking about what I would want to do if I do want to have another another piece of music speak for me. I was able to start thinking about who I am right now and, and who I want to represent me musically, which part of me I want to represent myself, if that makes sense. Um, I was just in, um, in Pennsylvania, New York, doing some house concerts for Michael Clorin and Laura, and I stood in front of... of this blues crowd and my first set was filled with so much doubt thinking oh my god they're gonna be so disappointed listen to the songs I'm singing oh my gosh I'm not like any of those other blues people that I hear you know they're not gonna be wondering how come I'm singing this and how come this sounds like this and in the middle of that what popped into my head was well Etta James sure don't sound like none of them either and I went oh yeah Etta James doesn't sound like any of them why am I so worried about what I sound like? And in that moment, I knew what my next album was. I knew, again, how to trust myself. You know, and it's just, I imagine that every artist goes through doubt, self-doubt and, and, and low self-esteem and, and all that other kind of stuff. But when you're singing a music that is so defined by the past, and so defined by a very standard way of doing it and where the women really haven't branched out in a big way. 
you know, certainly there have been men that have branched out in a big way, but other than Alabama Shakes, which is run by a woman, I, and Bonnie Raitt, who I think is accepted a lot in the country vein as well somehow, you don't have a lot of women that are hugely, hugely, hugely successful. You know, they're known, but they're not. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, for sure. So you keep doubting how you how you go. You keep doubting um, the choices that you make. And I think I'm trying to, no, I am making the decision not to doubt. We'll see what happens. But I, I presume part of the artistic experience is that doubt. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I yeah. just, I mean, I know that, you know, I've met musicians who are very confident about what they do. And, and with success, I guess there's more confidence. But do you have any idea why the doubt crept in in the last year? Like, is there a reason why? That you didn't feel. Um... I think it has to do with not being um, not being booked a lot, or not being asked to do certain festivals. Um, certainly, if you're not working as much, and I work a lot, but I don't work as much as I need to, or as I would want to. So, and also when you're looking for um, um, what do you call it? Conf- not confirmation, affirmation, validation. Um, with whether it be booking agents or agents in general, things like that, you start to doubt your value. And I need to remember the thing that I've always known, which is my value starts within. And I can't, I can't look anywhere else for it. It's the same thing I tell my kids. There are going to be times when nobody values me, but it doesn't really change who I am or what I'm worth. So when you start questioning yourself, as you have in the past year, mm-hmm. How, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you just kind of not try to think about it? Do you think about? I think I get rebellious and I get really um, stubborn, you know. So when people say, "Well, when's your next album come out?" or you know, you need to do your next album, like I'm not doing it. I'm not writing, you know. I'm not. I'm. I get really stubborn, you know. And and I don't even recognize it myself that that's what's happening. But I'm just like I just put my foot down. I'm just saying I'm not moving. And I remember getting ready to do the Women's Blues Review. And I wanted to do the song that Keb and I had wrote, had written together, excuse me. And I called him up. And, you know, every once in a while he'll call me up and he go, what are you doing with that song? And I'll say, I don't know. I still and he goes, well, you know, it's a good song. And I go, yes, I know. And then he goes, okay, I got to go. And he'll hang up, you know. <laughs> so I called him up and I said, hi, you know, I'm trying to think of what to do with the song. I want to sing it live. And he goes, well, you, this is what I would do. I would do this and I would have some of this in it and I would put some of this in it. I went, yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. And I got off the phone and I went, no, I'm not going to do that. That sounded really good, but I'm not going to do that. And within the conversation, I also said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do because quite frankly, I really don't feel like singing. He goes, well, just sing tomorrow and see how it feels. It was such a brush your knees off and keep walking kind of thing. You know what I mean? When you fall and kids start crying and they're like, I just gave my knee, you know, and some parents would go, oh, poor baby, poor baby. But me, the parent would go, well, let's see. Okay, brush it off. Let's go. And that's what he was saying. Get to the next step. Okay, you don't feel like singing. So what? Sing tomorrow and see how you feel tomorrow. What does Kevmo mean to you? What does that relationship mean to you? I love him. I love him. I, I think he offers me not just validation of, of musicality, but a validation of self. He sees me. 
how scary was it when you thought maybe I'm not going to do another album or maybe I'm not going to sing for long? I don't sing because I have to. I sing because I want to. I've chosen this life. I will always sing. I got songs running in my head all the time, so I'm constantly singing. But I mean, I don't do this for work because I have to. I do it for work because I've chosen to. There are a lot of things I'm good at. So to be in front of an audience, I don't ever want it to be this thing of me being 90 and then wheeling me on stage because I have to make the couple of dollars to pay my rent. I don't ever want that to be me. Really, truthfully, if you're willing me on the stage and I'm 90, it's because I want to be in front of these people. I want to be singing. It brings me joy. So how scary was it? It was, it was about as scary as it was when, do you remember two years ago when I lost my voice? Yeah. And I kind of went, and you were like, well, what are you going to do? And I went, oh, <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know. You, you can't question fate. You can't be mad at it. I've had an amazing life. I've raised my kids. I've sang places where I didn't think I'd ever sing. I've sang with people. I've met the people that I chose to meet and, and, and people that I said I was going to meet. And I've worked with them and I have built great relationships. And if that's it, well, then let's move on to the next thing. You know, um, am I going to be sad? Yeah. Will I be depressed? Probably. Will I find something else that will challenge me and make me happy? Yeah. You know, so I wasn't scared because I have faith that it's going to work out. So tell me what the, the next goal was. So I realized this year, you know, I, I'm in my mid-50s now. I'm almost 51. And uh, <laughs> uh, when I turn 53, I think I'll start saying that I'm almost 60. Because I will look so good. <laughs> Wait, so how do you feel? How do you feel about being 50? I don't care. Have you seen my mother? <laughs> Have true, you seen true. my mother? You know, I come from such amazing women. My grandmother, you know, was, was, was ageless until she finally, you know, lost her sight. And then she started to age. I really think that's what, what killed her because she couldn't see anymore. And her vision was such a big part of, of who she was. But, um, my mom is so young and vivacious and has two brand new knees and, you know, she keeps spinning off my inheritance. I can't afford to feel old cause I ain't got no money. She doesn't spend my money. You know, I have no fears about age. I, I, I have no fears about age. You know, I, I have only something to look forward to. Certainly your body slows down and, and you start to recognize that what you're putting in your body is what your body's going to give you, the output that's going to come. But but um, no, I'm, I'm fine. And so musically, I, has it been three years since the last album? Two years? Three years, three yeah. Years. Yeah, the four years. Well, I, start, I recorded in 2011 and we released in 2012, yeah. So do you have a plan for another album? Yep. Can we talk about that or do we not nope. want to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I did talk to um, Andrew Galloway about it. I told him a little bit about it and he seemed pleased and he even had, had a really great suggestion, which I, I might just use on that. But um, I'm actually really excited. It's, it's going forward with, with what I wanted to do, which was honor my grandmother. It might not take on the same storyline as I thought it would, um, but I'm really confident with what I'm doing. You have a reputation of having a, a, a big international background. 
where you're raised, where you've lived. How do you think that's informed the way you are today? I think it's almost to the detriment of my blues music. You know, when I'm sitting and, and playing with Brooke and I'll say to the audience, I love classic rock. And they all kind of look at me. You know, and I go, oops, I'm not supposed to say that, you know, and that's where some of that doubt comes in because I have to look at what my, my, my influence are. And I have to be honest about that, you know, and, um, I mean, I've said this, you know, growing up in Switzerland, I was listening to Sweet, you know, I was listening to Donna, Donna Summers when she first came out, but I was also listening to Clarence Carter and I was also listening to Wilson Pickett, you know, and I was listening to Tina when Nutbush came out. There was a, a music magazine that would come out and it had the lyrics and I could read the lyrics. So I would read them for my friends, you know, and, and I knew what she was saying. Um, coming back to Toronto and, and meeting my first Caribbean friends, I had my first taste of reggae and soca and calypso. I didn't know what any of that stuff was, you know? And again, classic rock was in there, you know? And, and then I would go home to my mom and, and there's the Motown stuff and the Stack stuff. So I think it's been really great for me in a sense of feeling open to all music, but I think sometimes it's, it's to the detriment of my blues because my blues is, is definitely informed by all of that. And I don't think that I could take that away completely. But what I'm going to try to do is to almost, like an onion, you know, take away the layers and sort of see where I first started out. And the memories of, of being in Greensboro, North Carolina, you know, and going to church are really strong for me right now. The memories of Going, going to Easter Sunday church are really strong for me right now. The memories of going to church with my grandfather are really strong for me right now. Um, the memories of, of being in South Carolina, you know, and, and the music that was happening. And the only music I was really hearing and listening to again was in church. So those things are really, really strong for me now. So it, it means I've got to peel back some layers and see where was I in the beginning. I think what's inspiring me more than anything right now is faith. I've become really super, super spiritual the past six, seven months. It's been a really hard year. And, um, yeah, faith. But what does that mean, spiritual? Like, how do, how do it you? It means I went from being, um, having no religion as a kid, you know, going to church and stuff to, you know, uh, rebelling against my flower children parents by going to Seventh Day Adventist Church, you know, with my dad going, where did I go wrong, you know, <laughs> and then um, finding a level of spirituality that's worked for me for over 30 years, to actually getting down on my knees sometimes and praying, and I consider myself again more Buddhist than anything. I, I really do, but I've I've really come back to this thing of of God universe. Mother Nature, whatever it is, and recognizing how small we are and how small we have to be in order to really find that that greatness, you know, in order to really find out where where our truth lies. And so um, having faith, knowing that it's always going to work out for me, isn't a religious experience. It's a spiritual one. It means sometimes it's going to be crap for a long time, you know, but um I don't know. I think we can always work it out, you know. And if you have good friends, if you have people around you, you can work it out. Your, your life might change. That's the thing that I don't think we recognize enough. Your life can change, but 
as long as you stay true to yourself, everything will work out. And I think certainly the experiences that I've had in the past six, seven months have taught me to trust my spirit. You know, that little voice that says, you know, don't do that. And you go, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. I'm now, I now listen to that voice. I now go back. I will travel back 10, 15 minutes back to my house to do something that that voice told me to do because I didn't want to listen to that voice because I know that voice is right. Just to close off, tell me about what you see in the future. What, what's the ideal scenario that you're working towards? That I want? The mm-hmm. ideal scenario that I want for myself for or for who? For you, yourself. Wembley Stadium, Carnegie Hall. I'd like to sing with Tina one day. I really would. I'm okay if it's like a duet, slow song, part of a charity thing. I'm okay with that. I still want an Oscar. You know, I'm willing to wait. I figured that will be within the next 15, 20 years. I'm good for with that. For music or for acting? You know, I haven't quite figured that out. So it's still it's still up here in my head where other things are closer. The Grammy is about five years away, you know, at least the nomination. I'm, yes, I'm saying that in the microphone. Um, but I think more than ever, I honestly, Mako, I really, 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 I want to try and stay true to who I am, even if it's just in the moment. You know, I really want to be honest about who I am and I really don't want to change myself for other people or to be liked. I did that. I did that as a kid. You know, I did that living in Switzerland. I did that coming back to Toronto. I did that in every single new school I went to or every new company I worked at. I tried to be something so that people would like me. I don't want to Sally Fields my life anymore. You know, <laughs> I want to I want to be me and 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 get more into that. And I did that with time, and I want to remember that and go back to that again. You know, I feel really lucky to know you. I've, I've always felt that way. And, and when I come up with ideas and I say, can you talk to me about this? And you've always <laughs> been there. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. And thank yeah. you very much for doing this today. Well, thanks very much for, you know, for having me with all these screaming kids. I know you farmed your kids out to the neighborhood and now they're complaining because it's meal time. What are you going to do? You know, but, you know, <laughs> I, I know we can put Not them yet. all back. <laughs> they can come back home now. Come on back home, y'all. Your daddy loves you. You know, <laughs> thank you.